1: This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Maurice, and our associate producer William Smith. Visit Patreon.com/PositivelyTrek to help support the podcast. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and more. Thank you all very much for your support, and enjoy the show. Wow, is that a book? When I was a kid, after my parents were killed. My foster mother on Vulcan used to read it to me and her son. She and I were the only humans in the house. It's how I learned that the real world doesn't always adhere to logic. Sometimes down is up. Sometimes up is down. Sometimes when you're lost, you're found.
0: So I just fell down through this rabbit hole in reading a book (laughs) called Star Trek Discovery Wonderlands. Welcome to Positively Trek, everyone. I'm Bruce Gibson with Dan Gunther. How are you,
1: Dan? Hey, Bruce. Doing well and uh, really excited to talk about this book.
0: (laughs) Me too. And in order to do that, we've invited the author onto the show here, Una McCormick.
1: How are you, Una?
2: I am very well, guys. Very good to be back in Chester G. Fellas again. So thanks for having me.
1: Excellent. Really happy to have you on. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, the book, we just finished reading it. It's fresh in our heads. Is it fresh in yours? (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) It's really
2: funny. I wrote it. uh, So I must have. It's probably just under a year since I finished it. And I think it was kind of it was sort of that first six months of um being in the pandemic and I was homeschooling my daughter was at home so I was doing a full-time job in the morning writing and then a full-time job in the afternoon teaching and I have literally literally no memory of writing this book I remember being very tired hmm. <laughs> but I've reread it since so uh so so uh So when I reread it, I thought, "Cool, I'm quite pleased with this. (laughs) All things considered, this isn't a bad book. So uh, I'm just pleased it exists.
0: (laughs) We're pleased it exists, exists too. So I'm glad you got through to rereading it to refresh your mind. (laughs) We're going to refresh your memory on this, too. So that should help. So I'm curious, though, because this does take place in season, season three after episode one. So if you would just kind of tell us how you got into this process and and involved into writing this Mm. particular novel.
2: Well, let's say these days, uh, I I sort of got an email um, from the guys over at uh, Simon & Schuster uh, saying, uh, we have quite an obvious gap for a novel, a discovery novel here, which is in this um, lost year of Michael Burnham's. Uh, Would you like to fill it? Uh and uh, I think when we were first sort of mooting the book, yeah, this this would mean that I was I was um I was getting scripts uh ahead of um uh you guys uh being able to see it, which I love doing, obviously. It's like, yeah, that'd be <laughs> fantastic. So I kind of jumped at that and I was really interested to see what they were what they were gonna do with 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 this. I thought it was a really interesting premise um this uh you know leap into the future so i really wanted to see what they were doing uh, and then th- this was just such a such an obvious gap for storytelling because i am I'm sure I'm, I'm assuming that if people are listening that they'll have seen that they'll have seen discovery season 3 by now if you've not this might be a good time to stop <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway uh, as we know she we, she has this year before um discovery arise michael burnham and um uh, there are a few throwaway lines i think during one episode where she and books kind of do you remember that time when we do you, you know oh that time at the cantina at moss eisley kind of thing um <laughs> so uh, they throw all these escapades around and um uh, and, and i think the idea of the book was uh, what else happened in that year because it's uh that's quite a scary, scary place to be. <laughs> exactly. Was this your idea
0: to write this time frame, in this year, or did that come from the publisher?
2: That came from that came from the publisher, and uh, I, I, uh, I guess then that would mean that it came from the folks um, making the show that they they have a pretty good idea of what books they want to um, to be tying into the show now. So that's that's all quite well integrated these days. Um, so the idea came from them, and I, I said, yeah, fantastic. I'd love to write about um, Burnham. I think that's a really, really, I hadn't really written about her before, or maybe thought about her much before. I'd done a Tilly book. Um, and, and as you guys probably know, any chance to write one of the women of Star Trek, I'll kind of, yeah, hand it here. So, um, so I went with that one.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. That was one thing Bruce and I talked about a lot when that first, uh, couple episodes of discovery came and we were wondering like, Oh, that those adventures during that year, maybe we'll get a short treks episode or something like that. And I (laughs) I feel like it's a bonus. We got a novel because you can go really in depth and really explore a lot of those things that happened and that relationship she has with book and all of the other characters as well. So I ate this up because I got to say, I I was really curious about that year long before uh, we we got this Mm. novel. So
2: Good. It was a gift, really. I think the way I tried to think about it, I thought, um, okay, we've got a year, and that's basically what a season of Star Trek covers. So let's try and think of this. I think I kind of shaped it in my mind as sort of like you were getting a, you were getting a season of discovery um, with just, but just with Burnham. So it, it should kind of feel with a, an opening two-parter and a climactic two-parter, and maybe a kind of you know um, quiet episode seven. <laughs> Something like that, and that's that's why it has to, I, the book has quite an episodic feel. But I, some characters kind of pick up and carry through, um, so it should feel like a sort of um, little extra season of discovery stuck stuck in it's stuck in book form.
0: That's yeah. how it worked for me. I'm glad you mm-hmm. said that because as I was reading it, I was noticing once I would get into a chapter that mm. it seemed to have a beginning, middle, and end to it. But there's a continuing story throughout this. It, it's not just separate stories but it did feel like i'm moving on to the next episode And i thought did she purposely try to make it feel like a season because that's what it feels like today
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like i know what i'm doing <laughs> not even now <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is going to be like in my mind the like season 3.5 of discovery Lovely. because really, really it nice. really fits in there so well yeah. And that's actually something we haven't gotten a lot of in the Discovery novels are novels that actually fit within the timeline of the series as well. So, uh, you know, there there have been a couple other ones recently, but mostly before they were kind of prequels or sticking outside of the timelines. So yeah. was there kind of a particular challenge to making this one fit in that year? Was there anything that like you kind of... Thought about afterwards, like oh shoot, I need to make sure to include this or tie that in somehow.
2: I think the tricky thing was not was not laying it on too thick. So you, I, uh, it, it, you have to assume that people aren't reading the book, yeah. So um, you you can't put anything in the, or, or it's the other way around really. You can't put anything in the book that will have ramifications for what's on screen because because people won't be reading the book. So I kind of had to hold the book Burnham story. Uh, uh, in a not in abeyance, but but um, uh, make it you know they they can't come to any kind of resolution because that happens on screen, um, so you just have to sort them of kind of take them through that story. So I think that was kind of the trickiest thing was was finding where the stories are happening that that wouldn't sort of um, obviously disco couldn't turn up and uh, everything everything had to be found outside of Discovery in a way. Yeah. Um, And you just had to hope that that probably meant more invention than usual. Usually I'm able to kind of um, rely much more on on characters that we that we see a lot of. Um, So I I think that was and and sometimes you think, is that going to carry people? Because, you know, if they picked up a disco book, well, of course, was Saru, you know, (laughs) 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 it's got disco on the cover, you know, so you don't want to feel that people are Picking out a disco book under under false pretenses But I think if you uh, the only responses I've had when I when people when you said it's about the lost year, they've gone, oh fantastic. I was really wondering what was happening there. Um and so long as people are there for that story, then you you're just gonna have to give them uh um sort of extra characters. But there is a lot of Book and Burnham. I mean, you know, they're they're there a lot. And they were really what I had to hang it on, because they were they would be the, the people that people would know. Sahil is there as well, and he gets lots of um Lots of page time
0: because uh, he was so lovely. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: We were excited to see him there. That That's mm-hmm. for sure. So, uh, you know, it's interesting you saying that because it does feel like a discovery novel to me, even mm-hmm. though it doesn't have the discovery crew, because the series really is the journey of Michael Burnham for the most part. And so this just felt like a continued part of her journey of getting from what we saw of her of episode one of season three into the next episode, or I should say episode three or whatever of Discovery. And it felt natural to me. And I really love the relationship between her and book in this. I mean, you nailed it. I I just like thought, I I mean, I could just read books about the two of them together all the time. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Do you know what? I I could just write books about that. I'm glad it worked. I think that's one of those things where as a writer, you go, um, oh, I've got I've got 90,000 words to write. That's quite a lot. Uh, And then you kind of go, oh, oh, I've just done five pages of these two just (laughs) snarking at each other and, you know, um, brushing cat fur up from the rug. And uh, they really, really fill the pages. And it never felt it never felt like filler either when you were writing them. They, they just felt like they were sparkling on the page. They've got such chemistry, uh, uh, the two actors. It's, uh, the, uh, and the two characters, I think. Um, he, she's He's sort of making her relax. Uh, and uh, she is making him raise his game, I think. Uh, and, and so they, they just work really well. And it's just really nice to see Burnham, I think, have a bit of fun. Yes, Mm -hmm. you know just just have a relationship that um that that's not driven by um angst or uh, you know she's got this crazy situation that she's in and he's pretty roguish but um but he's actually quite a decent bloke. So, uh, uh, can I get more British? (laughs) He's a decent bloke. Um, so I, that was quite refreshing, I think, to have, to be writing Burnham in that way, to be thinking about Burnham in that way. Um, yeah, I just loved writing them. They, They were a hoot.
1: Yeah. I really enjoyed that part of the story as well. And it kind of, it took me a little bit to put my mind back to where she and book were. In that, at the end of that first episode, that you know, I kind of think of them. Oh, they're inseparable, they're pals. Wait, they really weren't. She did break his nose and and yeah. hit him a <laughs> large number of times. So, like, yeah, yeah. there's still that antagonistic relationship there. And I really In a very liked...
2: loving way. I think yeah. it's, <laughs> totally. It's like Bashir shooting Garrick. You know, you think that's that's. <laughs> practically a kiss
1: (laughs) exactly but yeah over the course of the story we do get that evolution as well and like you say you can't quite get to that resolution but we see the seeds of that and and i love that kind of natural progression of it through the book
2: yeah i I really enjoy doing it i think you're very lucky as a writer because the you know the actors the actors have to do this this cold in a way i mean their, their job is to present to you um two people who have known each other for a year that, that you, the viewer, have not seen. Whereas I get to go through all those beats, uh, which is why actors are so clever. <laughs> you know, they they need to persuade you of that in pretty much the very first scene that you see in uh, episode three or, or whatever it is that they are together. So they have to feel like, um, um, you know, they're much more intimate or, or know each other much, much better than than you actually have seen them. Um, but I get to, I got to sort of put all that glue in. So, um, so it was good fun. Uh, and the David Ajala uh, tweeted about my book, which is even nicer.
0: <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's been
2: really nice. Because yeah, I so, like to
0: think that the actors are going to read this book, you know, because it's like they really should. This is, their, this, this is their characters.
2: Well, Adil Hussein tweeted to say he bought it. So I hope he reads oh, it. It'd be excellent. lovely. He's been really nice on Twitter as well. So uh, that was very thrilling. <laughs> um, because I, there is a lot of sailing there. Because, again, I thought he, this was such a great character. A really interesting person. Uh, and of course there's just that season's having to do much, much more than, than focus on him. Um, but I, I I just found it. So I think I'd seen a kind of rough cut of episode one. Uh, so I'd I'd seen that character, I'd seen that performance, and it had uh really stuck in my mind as really, really poignant. And um uh what sort of life he must have led uh with this constant kind of hoping. And you know, you usually it kind of Oh, I'm 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 32 now. I'd better give up on my dreams, you know. <laughs> and this guy doesn't. He just kind of keeps on hoping. And then in she walks, and that's incredible. It, it's 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 been proved proved right. So I I loved that performance. I really wanted to put as much of that character as possible uh, in the book, and 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 what his life must have been. And and, and um uh, uh his his grandmother, I think, figures quite heavily in the book as well, uh, in an oblique way. We we get her journals of the burn um so i yeah I, I really want to sort of work through and deepen
1: that I'm, I'm really glad you brought up sahil because he is one of my absolute favorite characters we had the tremendous opportunity to talk with adil hussein on the podcast Oh
2: yeah
1: <laughs> uh, episode 88 i believe and his 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 warmth and just genuine spirit as a human being both as the character and as the actor i think uh, really comes through in this book mm. you really captured that well
2: Good, good. I'm glad about that. Uh, really good. Really good. So I got very fond, as I say, just that, just um, the screen time that he has. I just wanted, I wanted more of that. There was something of that, um, that yearning, that desire for better times, that, that sense of things that are lost is a very Brexit book, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I, I do want to start letting people know who are listening now. we I want to get deep into this book. I want to get into the spoiler territory here because I don't want to dance around some things. But I'm glad we're talking about Sahil. And we just talked about book. And there was something about these two that really... Stood out to me because when I think about the original series and we have Kirk and then you've got the Spock, the logical, and then you've got Bones there grumbling and complaining and realistic about how things should go. I kind of thought that way about these three, that Michael Burnham is there in the middle trying to relive that dream and bring that dream back to this time. But at the same time, understanding that it may not be practical and maybe she needs to live in the moment. And book and Sahil are like two opposite ends of her sitting on her shoulders talking to (laughs) her about live the dream, don't live the dream. And I kind of want to investigate more into that whole relationship of those three.
2: That's exactly what I, they they absolutely seemed the triangle heart of the book. And that one was, uh, I, I think they both. It, it's not as it, they're, they're each on one shoulder, but it's not that one is an angel or one is a devil. One is saying, "Don't forget what was good about this," and the other one is saying, it, "It's gone. You you have to live with that. You've got to be real and uh, accept this reality." Uh, and and then this one is going, uh, but and but at the same time, book is sort of saying, you know, uh, where there's moments in the book where she kind of tells him her life story, and and he and he goes, Do "You know." That's not right. <laughs> yeah. right. I love that. And uh, and and he's saying to her, you know, a, a, a lot of his appeal to her, I think, is he's, he's saying, you know, life doesn't have to be like that. Life can be lived more freely. Uh, life can be le- lived more in the moment, taking more pleasure in. You, you know, you you you're allowed to be happy. Um, and and that I think is a very uh, strong appeal of the the life that she leads. Uh, and, and where she goes to in this book and at the same time Sahil is saying things like yes but you you know this is your command you're you're the staff, the officer in this area and people rely on this ship and um it's not as straightforward as that and you know there there are still little fragments of this um uh civilization left and maybe you you do still have a duty to them and there were good things about the federation people didn't Hunt endangered species or slave trade or uh you know they could negotiate peace and um uh there there are very positive things obviously about not living in a cutthroat <laughs> hyper capitalist world of um, you know killers and mercenaries so uh, and he's reminding her of all that so I wanted it um it is two voices on her shoulder, but they're each they're each angels in a way they're angels of different parts of of what her life could or might be um and and that but that absolutely that that trio drives the what i think of as the the story engine um i think books are always more interesting when you don't have antagonist protagonist when you get this sort of three-way play of, of, of different pools of relationships and i think even even book and um sahil um do respect each other um and uh, uh, book, I think, that is is it Sahil has a moment where he he wonders one of them has a moment of of wondering what what book might have done with his life had he been born mm-hmm. at the height of the Federation, yeah, that yeah. you know not not always having to make a deal or um, you know see where the next bit of money is coming from. Um, and I think he there's an idealist hiding inside book uh uh like all you know disillusioned people i think and 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 she's coaxing that out of him and he's coaxing the pragmatist out of her so so yeah definitely those three were that were the heart of the book for me and and seeing them bounce off each other good glad that worked
0: (laughs) it's always good the interesting thing to me about the triangle is of course the the piece that's burnham well all the pieces of but the burnham piece and the fact that she's very persistent and wanting to fix things. That's, that's something about her character. She's always trying to fix things while at the same time she's trying to fit in. And that's something we've seen throughout the series of, you know, kind of being a fish out of water, but then also like trying to fit in and fix things. And that triangle seems to help her and guiding her in, in through these different things. So how does this situation with Burnham describe where she is at this point?
2: I think that's being a fish out of water is completely right. You think of her arriving on Vulcan. um, uh, And I mean, it's bad enough that her her parents have just died. But then she has to kind of modify her behavior to fit into this very, um, very, very strange uh, alien environment. Uh, And then again and again, I think she's always trying to. So she's at the other end of that experience. She kind of pops out as a as a as a human Vulcan human something. Having to fit in into Starfleet, then as the jailbird, having to fit in as the, you know, the the person that caused all this all this mayhem, it's the story of her life in a way. So in some ways, she's quite well equipped to find herself kicked a thousand years into the future, <laughs> but uh, having to, uh, you know, uh, make herself fit in—it's something she's had to do again and again and again. She's um, Alice
0: in Wonderland.
2: She's have, yeah, yeah, she absolutely. <laughs> what a great title for a book (laughs) (laughs) think of that one so um and and yeah I had her her legs not that I put that image in somewhere don't of Alice trying to fit into that house where her her legs don't fit she's never never quite fitting in a box and and part of what happens in this book is that she starts to fit and then the ship comes back and you think oh no you just you just kind of found a place to you found a way to make this work mm-hmm. uh and and now you now your bloody friends have turned up and spoiled it <laughs> yeah and she should feel ambivalent at the end of the book i think
1: that to me was was always a really heartbreaking scene in season 3 when tilly says to her you've moved on haven't you and there's just that pause and she doesn't say anything and then she says it's really good to see you tilly and hugs yeah. her and i'm just like <laughs> Oh, because like, I, I I don't, I really connected with that feeling somehow. And I can't even think of when exactly in my life it was or something like that. But like, I was like, Oh, I felt that before that just felt so real. And you really show us the buildup to that. And mm-hmm. the, the moment where it's the hardest thing she has to do is let go and admit yeah. that, yeah, this may not ever come back. And I have to live with that. Yeah. And it's so shortly after that, that, Discovery shows up (laughs) and now what do I do?
2: She's just made that break. I I guess it would I I suppose it's it it's almost banal in a way, but um that uh when you go away at 18 to college or something, Mm -hmm. yeah, and you spend the first four months going, I want to be home, I'm so frightened, this is appalling, what have I done? You go home and you go, everything is so small. How did I ever live here? Will you please stop ordering me to do things? Don't you know that I've been living on my own for? A, yeah, so it, that that was sort of the emotion I was I was tapping. I think. Early. Oh, totally. I I hadn't been flung a thousand years into the future, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it's that kind of feeling of, of no longer fitting into a smaller box, but people want you back in there because they they loved having you there. Yeah, uh, but life has changed and moved you on.
1: Yeah. When you, when you leave your hometown or your friends for years and you come back and you're a completely different person, but your friends still, they don't know you. They know the past you and they relate to you on that level. Yeah.
2: And then, and then they try and get you to act like that person and you're irritated because you feel like you're being put back in and falling back into old patterns and things. You go, no, I'm, I'm like this now. And they're going, well, I don't have any frame of reference to you being like that. So a little bit of that. And then at the same time, just the pleasure of seeing these people again that, you know, she thought she might never see. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's probably what I was tapping into.
0: That just reminded me, I don't think I ever changed because a friend of mine from college <laughs> told me, she's like, gosh, you're the same you were then. I'm like, do you, do, are you suggesting I should have changed? Come on. <laughs> I didn't grow up. Uh oh, wow. Well done, you. <laughs> But as we're talking about this subject, it's making me think about the, how there's certain planets that cut themselves off from the rest of the galaxy. Because once the burn happened, I guess we need to probably talk through all that, too. But the burn happened. And, of course, the Federation isn't around anymore. And there's some worlds that feel like, you know, we have to just do this on our own. And then there's people on those worlds like Zuka and is it Benyé? Binye. Binye. That, mm-hmm. you know leave the planet even though Beignet doesn't want to leave but as Burnham's talking to her she's explaining you know I you know I can't all go home either I can relate to this
2: yeah yeah um I think once I started thinking about it as episodic that sort of opened opened up the book uh for me and part of when we were sort of talking about it in when we were we were talking with the guys back at um Pocket and um um in the studio we were sort of saying well what what can we do uh and uh we we thought a good idea would be to look at uh, worlds where um how different the the experience of the burn had been so the the burn it uh, what happens is that all the all it's like the dilithium will short so the spaceships drop out of warp and um uh that you can't connect uh all these planets that are far flung you can't go into warp to connect east planet as, as quickly as you could so effectively it's going to take lifetimes to get from s- small parts of the federation to the other um so uh, the, the whole kind of infrastructure that's holding this vast space together just goes poof uh, and you can't get to places you just can't get there you know, you know how do you it'd be like um the the roman ro- roads suddenly collapsing um or all the i guess the actually i guess the equivalent would be all the, all the slaves or all the horses Um, not that they are equivalent, Um, they all drop dead. Um, So your infrastructure completely goes and you can't connect all these places together. Um, And um, uh, that would leave places extremely isolated. Uh, And some would be fine um, because they're quite self-sufficient. But some would not be fine because uh, the only reason that they can exist is that they're Connected to a large intergalactic stellar federation that brings in supplies and resources and all kinds of things. So some places would do fine and some places would do very badly. And the ones that were doing very badly would then start to look round at other places and go, well, what can we, what can we get and what can we have? So the infrastructure that holds this together just goes overnight, and you get sort of small pockets. Of, of places that are, are able to shore themselves up a little bit and places that that kind of collapse it's a really interesting um uh scenario it's a uh it's sort of um i i really had the kind of um uh the the end of the the roman empire in mind because i think it had, there's a particular um it's it's particularly uh uh a, there's a particular effect i think in britain there's a lot more continuity if you look at kind of um Archaeology and documentation in mainland europe but in in Britain what you what you kind of get is we, we we have this sort of gap of archaeological record and certainly of documentation uh from sort of the last um Roman soldiers leaving to the kind of early medieval period where you start to see um uh monasteries uh uh making records and we so we have this sort of gap where people are kind of going, well, I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> who knows maybe there was a guy with a magic sword called arthur you know that's my <laughs> best guess right so um so we have this sort of and, and it, um, my other host is very interested in this he, he you know every so often he tells me oh, well, something else has been discovered that's just made that gap a little bit shorter so it's like that where there's this little thread of history that's gone silent and every so often we 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 pick up a little transmission from somewhere and this this thread gets a little bit more connected so i thought that must have been what the what the burn must have felt like suddenly Rome stopped taking your calls, you know, and you've got you've got the centurion in Gloucester going, hang on, lads, I'll, I'll have your orders in a moment. I'm not getting anything from the centre. We're gonna to have to make something up. That must have been what it felt like. as just silence comes from from where all the orders and direction are coming. And you've just got to work out what to do. Um and I, I think I put some Roman poetry in there. There's some Anglo-Saxon poetry of um which is really really evocative of the anglo-saxons kind of arriving in britain and looking at all these massive buildings and going what the heck what kind of, how are these guys able to put these bridges up you know we we're, we're dealing in wattle and daub over here you know <laughs> these, these massive stone things and they they kind of nickle the stones and um, you know make churches out of them and that's why we don't have any archaeological <laughs> record in britain so so all of that was kind of in the back of my mind this kind of um, almost the dark ages in a way. Um, but on an, on an interstellar stage, am I making any sense at all? Yeah,
0: this felt (laughs) like the dark ages, you know, the Federation. It's, it it really did. I mean, actually to me, I don't know how Dan feels about this, but I felt when I was reading the book that the galaxy situation made more sense to me than it than I picked up on the show. I mean, it worked on the show, but this just added more to it. Like I really felt like, these people are so cut off. The Federation mm. is a distant memory or it it's be- practically doesn't even really exist. It's like this thing that used to be, and we don't even know how true it really was. And I loved how it wasn't just, oh, the Federation just, you know, went away in one day because of the burn. There were other cracks leading up to it because yeah. it makes sense that it wouldn't just fall just immediately.
2: Yeah. And we, we really, really thought about that. And again, I, I think I modeled this on, on Rome. And and watching what's happening, I'll be honest, watching what's happened happened in the European Union over the last 10 years or so, or, or the um, I mean I mean, wow, it's it's what five years since Brexit now, unbelievably. Um, watching what's happened over the past 15 years, maybe. That um y- you know, these federations or or empires or whatever we want to call them, they get very big. Uh, and maybe there'll be some senior powers. Um, you might want to call them Earth, Vulcan, Tellur and Andor, or France, Germany, (laughs) Italy and Britain and somebody goes off in a huff uh, because, you know, they don't quite feel they're getting their slice of the pie, no matter how huge their slice of the pie is. Grumble. Um, And smaller places are going, well, we don't feel like equal powers and you're not listening to us and uh, everybody's doing what they want, what people in Frankfurt and Paris and Strasbourg want, but they're not listening to us over here in Tallinn. Um, and, you know, we're getting a bit antsy about this and all these strains lead to a kind of um, uh, that that when the crack happens and it's very dramatic in the case of the burn, it, you know, they're, they're physically cut off. Some places go, well, actually, you know, we weren't at, we weren't really getting all the, that much from the, those guys. Let's just let's just kick off here. And other people go. And, and you've seen this in Britain with 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 people who um, five years on still aren't coming to terms with the fact that guys we we really have left the european union yeah we've left you know it's Mm going to be i don't i don't like it but it's happened yeah Mm -hmm. and and it's going to be 30 years if ever if the eu survives because it's doing a very very good job of (laughs) setting itself on fire at the moment um and that kind of mourning that you observe in people um they're just not, they can't come to terms with it. And then you imagine that happening in Gloucester in, in the in the sort of fifth century. You know, oh, um, Tiberius down the road. Every Saturn aliary just goes through the motions and he's got to get past it. That, you know, the legions aren't turning up. And, you know, that and that, that was sort of what I wanted to, to make it feel. And people would be saying that about Sahil, you know, um, people coming through that spaceport would be going, Bless him. Do you know he flies that flag and he he gets it out every day and God love him. But they're not coming. Oh, they've come. Yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> because of
2: course we're dealing in a universe of time travel and these kinds of things. So um, I'm really interested to see what they do in season four with them um, with this background uh it's going to be very interesting to see yeah
1: absolutely i felt like the the situation on the one planet ikasu the one that had cut itself off and was prospering quite a bit and and you know was doing quite well kind of was anticipating what we learn about earth in season 3 as well and i'm i'm really curious to get back to earth hopefully in discovery at some point as well and find out how that progresses because they had cut themselves off from the federation as well and and I think the the captain in that episode says, you know, why would we stay in the federation? We've got everything we've need we need here. You know, we can't be bothered to look after all these other people. We're we're self-sufficient and that like that was very brexity in my yeah. mind when I was watching <laughs> that as well and it really makes a lot of sense that that pattern would Uh, happen in all sorts of places in the Federation as well.
2: Yeah. And, um, yeah, I I mean, certainly I had that in mind with, with a place like Ikasu and, um, maybe they've been quite late, late joining. Um, they had quite a distinctive culture that I think they were quite, um, uh, they were they were materially quite physically, bio, biophysically quite connected to their oceans, aren't they? So there there are there are reasons for them perhaps not to travel too much. They they like to be in these um uh, they like to be it, it, they like to be on their world, yeah. So they you know maybe the federation was just oh, that's okay. We can trade a bit more. We can get um, you know it's uh, it's pleasant to see these places or um, uh, have people arrive. But now that you've gone, we find actually it's not made much difference you know we're self-sufficient the population's small enough resources are good enough uh we can get by and the longer that would happen the more that they would drift away from a um you know the um uh the central kind of um culture i suppose they, they wouldn't feel federation anymore might look a bit high tech or might even do some things in the same way but they wouldn't feel federation anymore and once you don't feel that anymore you you just can't carry people with you when we're never going to bring these brexiteers back yeah. <laughs> they were never in it anyway they never felt that way so um, and now they they feel that way even less so uh yeah um but they're doing fine on ikasu i think they they won't have any problems it's it's very nice though <laughs> yeah.
0: i think there's some people here that do still feel the federation the reenactors which was I thought I thought this was a fun concept. I'm just curious as to why you went this direction because as I was reading this, I was thinking, okay, these are a bunch of cosplayers. That are in the future living out this fantasy of a past, like we in the present live out this fantasy of a future. It's it's almost like you know cosplay before the Federation, cosplay after the Federation,
1: or like or like Renaissance. Yes, cosplayers or That's Civil exactly. War reenactors. Yeah,
2: I was just about. To say, I can literally, I could literally but oh, well, I I couldn't do it now cuz you know of it, uh, covid but um, <laughs> yeah I, I could walk I could catch the train up the road to ely and um ely is um uh there's there's a house there which is where oliver cromwell lived uh and I could see an english civil war reenactors there um you know uh, regularly uh, there's a, there's a medieval fair happens down the road from here um all of these things you, you know i can we, i could i could walk into one of the churches and see people put on you know, um, almost medieval (laughs) garb. So there's there's a lot of that about, you know, catch a train uh, into Norfolk. They had a World War II um, sort of um, uh, cosplay day out there. One time I was there, they have a little steam train there and they put on kind of 40s celebrations. So I thought I got the idea of the reenactors from one of the scripts. I I thought it was in one of the scripts. So um, maybe it didn't get on screen. It's just a very throwaway line about reenactors. Um, I thought it was from one of the scripts, and everyone's kind of picked up on this. So I'm wondering now whether it got cut, uh, didn't make it to the air, uh, because of course I see these things. But I, I really did I really did roll with it. Um, I, I thought it was in the first um, mercantile that uh, uh book takes her to. I thought there was a throwaway line. I mean, but as yeah. I say, I... I I I you know I I might have got a version of the script that had a line cut or something well, like you that. You know that what I'm
0: gonna, just gonna just... do is go back and watch that episode just to <laughs> Absolutely. see. If it's still there. <laughs> I don't remember. It, it's
2: in a mercantile and he kind of oh, you know, flipping yeah. reenacted. And I just thought that was brilliant and so rich and how much you could do with that. That does kind these of these guys familiar. would be yeah, and these these guys would be yeah, you know, and they, they wouldn't quite get the dimensions of the thing right because they've not really seen a delta uh and but but be beautifully made or uh you know because because cosplay is just incredibly well done um Mm -hmm. but it's a world that it's a world that they've lost it's a nostalgia um but i think it still speaks to the same kind of yearning that you know we we all we're all star trek fans we all kind of go but it would be cool to live in shiny space post scarcity future that would be amazing obviously and they're they're thinking the same thing but um looking to the past i think yeah yeah
1: i had i had a big feeling of that reading this and thinking like the parallels between us cosplaying and dreaming about this wonderful future yeah and of course them and, and this one part that just really summed it up for me Uh, It says, sometimes when she did try to explain, people looked at her in bafflement as if the whole idea of a moneyless society in which people were able to lead lives that allowed them to grow to their full potential was simply unfathomable. They latched latched onto the simplest things, the outward signifiers. They put on the uniforms. They collected the artifacts. They obsessed about the the regulations. But none of these were the Federation. None of these had made Starfleet. And I just, I really see that, like when i get starry-eyed and start talking about like oh you know the future of blah 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 and then you get the people that just don't see it and they don't feel like like oh there's there's no sense working towards that brighter future because that's mm. not possible human nature makes it impossible blah 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 and i just that gets so discouraging so i was really latching on to these characters here thinking like oh kindred spirits true believers i love it
2: <laughs> true believers yeah that's exactly it and you know we're all um we're not as young as we were any of us but we're still watching the, these daft old shows and, and that's because they do say they they're, they're still holding this sort of promise to us that um uh we we can organize and live in the world better in, in better ways i think and it's poignant when you and, and we're living I, th- I think we're all Gen Xs, aren't we? Uh, or or you know, millennials. Um, um we're we're kind of going, well, we we sort of see that um it was easier to buy houses or it was easier to do um, um certain kinds of things maybe 30, 40 years ago. Standard of living feels like it's it's dropping. Um and, and maybe we all feel like we're 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 living in a in societies that are not quite living up to their potential. Um in a way that they used to in other ways it's it's better um definitely better but in other ways I, I, and partly it's because we're constantly being told how amazing it was at Woodstock you know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um but uh you know and I'm, 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 I'm partly maybe we're feeling that some um things uh maybe you know it, it, we we can always be nostalgic about things and, and forget that things are much much better I think it, I think it's easy to look um uh, in the middle of a pandemic to look back and go, weren't things better then? Because, you know, they actually were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's. It, I, I think you're constantly having to say, well, what made this book interesting was that, that sense of a, a desire for something better. I had to juggle it being, uh, looking to the future or being a kind of nostalgia. Um, and And you don't want to fall into nostalgia. You want to be, you want to be forward looking and, and, and trying to make things better rather than to fall back into old ways and she's burnham's burnham is is being told that you know this this amazing world that she came from is the past it's done it's finished we don't have space or time for that anymore in our lives um but she can't help yeah can't help find a flag <laughs>
0: Yeah. And then we've got the space station, which was Starbase 906, which now has been renamed Vanguard. And we have the White Palm Raiders. I thought that was an interesting thing too, because in a sense, it's like, okay, they're the bad guys of this book, but in a way they're just a product of the situation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, w- I wanted to play it. I think ultimately, I, I, this, this is quite tricky because ultimately you do kind of need an antagonist. But mustache-twirling villains are just boring, you know. They're just no no fun at all. And I think I needed um, what what I wanted was uh, um, again, again. I think I went back to that model of I went back to thinking about what it must have been like in post-Roman Britain, where you basically have a bunch of of, of warlords kind of riding around, going, "No, follow me! I will kill fewer of you," you know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but then others uh, kind of go, "Well, no, actually, I've I've, I've managed to." I've managed to make things a bit quieter. I've got rid of the particularly nasty bandits that were um, killing you all and nicking all your stuff. Things are a little calmer than they were. I'm not really very nice, but, you know, I'm about 50 billion times better than the other guy. And and this is how we get the British royal family. You know, they're, the, <laughs> they're slightly less appalling um, warlords. So I just felt that, that there would be lots of these. We see it in the show. We see this kind of little bandit and warlord groups. And I thought, well, the there would be ones who kind of, um, uh, you know, are not gunslingers. they would be bureaucrats. They'd be they'd be bureaucrat warlords. Um, and but they'd have it they'd have the rough guys to do all the killing and the shooting and that kind of thing. But there'd be someone trying to somebody going well. Well, what we need to do is get manufacturing up and running. We need to be doing this. We need to be doing that. Uh, probably get some uniforms so that people feel like they're part of a movement or something. Um, but they're just not very nice people. Um, and to be able to do this, um, should shall, shall I spoil the book? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be able to do this, they 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 um, take over uh, the 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 base that they're on is a is a is a Starfleet base that's operating very very late in the day. So Burnham misses an operating Starfleet base by. We're meant to think it's a it's a it's a handful of years, you know, maybe maybe five or six years, and you, that should really. I, I hope I hope that feels like a blow you kind of go oh god they were there that long uh and then these guys just came in and said nope we're having that thank you very much
0: and she just missed it yeah
2: Mm, yeah uh and um which is i kind of played with her kind of played with it happening during the action of the book but i think it's i think it's more poignant if it's happened a little bit before um that she's just too late she couldn't have saved them but the proximity is so painful i think that you know i could have. It, if the if the Red Angel suit had just popped me out a few years earlier, you know, it's a little quantum glitch. I might have been <laughs> there in time to yeah to save this base, and yeah. and just save a little bit more of what's ebbing and flowing and fracturing away. So uh, so that's that that's where that's where those guys came out. Partly I needed an antagonist, but I didn't want a dumb antagonist. I wanted a I wanted something a little bit more interesting.
1: mm Hmm. The ships were visually interesting, and it, it wasn't. It was just merely because of the description. I was thinking of the Urakai because of the the white yeah, handprint. And I, was I like, did
2: kind of have that in my mind. I, thought, I I find that a really arresting image. and I thought let's stick that on a spaceship, and that would
1: that's look, cool. That would okay. look pretty
2: cool. So yeah, I did kind <laughs> of have that in mind.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, the the revelation, of course, that they're based out of this star, this former Starfleet base, and they're. I, I don't feel like I was surprised. Like it, it felt like it was kind of building towards that, but it was still just such a, a gut punch of course to Burnham. And, and, and then of course the, the thought in her mind that, uh, Iliana Padan, uh, this Cardassian character might have possibly betrayed her. Uh, and I, I thought she was a really interesting character and I don't think you mentioned that she's Cardassian until about the third, second or third time, She's brought up, but that name that was so perfect. Well,
2: uh, people would recognize it, wouldn't they? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So
1: Ileana, like Ileana Gamore, and Padan is pretty close to Padar, a Cardassian yeah. name. I was thinking well. it was close to Dan Gunther. Ah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, she could be your character if you want. <laughs> oh, excellent.
1: But, but I mean, just for when she's first mentioned i was like oh yes una mccormick's writing a cardassian
2: excellent <laughs> <laughs> has to happen it has to happen and we don't know we don't know what happens in that intervening 900 years so i i talk of her as being uh, you know the uh, I, I think she says something about the cardassian diaspora and you just kind of chuck these things out and Go, i oh, mean anything really doesn't because we don't know what happens uh between the end of um uh you know um what were they behind and and now so uh, all sorts of things could have happened to Cardassian maybe they joined the federation maybe they never did um or all of these things but we but Cardassians would be out and about and out there uh, so um I've just I've been watching Enterprise again um recently um which I kind of mainlined uh in about a month um <laughs> and um and and of course they don't. It, then the Cardassians never mentioned it because of course the Federation haven't encountered. But you think, well, I wonder what's happening back on Prime. You know, which which Republic are they in right now, and uh, who's killing who, and is the Obsidian Order up and running yet? Yeah, you've always got these things in the back of your mind. You've always got. Cardassian history in my mind so yeah I thought I'd pop a Cardassian in just because why not
1: (laughs) oh for sure you know and just a little side note it's really funny you mention Enterprise because that was one of the things that I wrote in my notes is the galaxy as it is now in in this novel really feels like the pre-Federation time of Enterprise where you've got like the Orion Syndicate doing their thing and you know just various kind of unaligned worlds all bumping into one each other, one another and, and bumping heads and I w- I was really thinking, oh, this is kind of interesting. It's like once that that political structure evaporates, it regresses to that kind of level as well. Mm. So I was wondering if that was in your mind a little bit while you were writing this.
2: I hadn't seen, I, hadn't, I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't seen Enterprise pretty much. I'd seen a bit of it when it was on, but for various reasons I hadn't, I hadn't watched much of it. So I think it was quite tricky to watch it in Britain or something. Um, so I, I didn't have that in mind, but it did, it should have, it It should have a frontier feel, this book, um, because that's how, that's how the kind of um, galactic um, politics and economics are shaking out. So yes, it does give it something in common with 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 enterprise. I think um this should feel a little bit more like um I, I think with enterprise and an original trek, you're you're feeling more as if things are opening up. Yeah? That there's mm-hmm. that people are connecting because that's that's the story of Earth and we're basically following the story of Earth. Um, but this maybe feels a little bit more like you're um shaking through the rubble. That's right. you're, yeah you're not you're not in the early stages of putting something up you're in the last stages of something falling down or can something has fallen down and you're 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 building the pieces up from that um so so that maybe is the difference perhaps um you're not you're not at the beginning you're not sort of at this stage of a curve you're more at sort of this this stage I don't. That's, for, for, for listeners on radio yeah.
1: <laughs> you're kind of at the same spot on the on that axis but you're yeah heading in a different the other direction.
2: end of a bump <laughs> yeah that's it that's exactly that oh. <laughs> for viewers on radio yeah
0: it reminds <laughs> me of the line that sahil says about i walk through the ruins left by giants yeah which mm-hmm. is the
2: anglo-saxon poem mm-hmm. um the ruin so uh it's a wonderful poem if, if people haven't read it. it. It and I think we we only have that poem in in sort of uh fragments as well, that sort of um which makes it even more poignant. Um these Anglo-Saxons just wandering around going, these are big places. This is this is uh, all this is all in Tolkien as well, isn't it? They're kind of wandering around the Numenorian stuff, going, oh, those guys could build. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's how it should feel, kind of wandering around going, wow, these guys could build. Shame we do. Shame we can't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't know if I have anything else. I'm sure I'm missing something, Dan. What about you? I can't remember the book. I'm amazed at how well I've. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're <doing> good. <laughs>
1: uh, I thought I had more to talk about with Iliana, but I think we pretty much covered it.
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay. She's got some stuff at the end, doesn't she? She kind of her story to me was about. Um, uh, getting to your late forties and going, oh no, I never sorted out that pension. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's her story to me. Is that she's kind of going, what am I going to, you know? And I get up in the morning, I feel tired, and yeah. I'm just, you know, this this was fine when I was 22 and maybe even 32, but but at 45, this is this is ridiculous. This is a young person's game. I've got, I've just got to get out of this and she tries to get out but she's a soft touch and and um people use her um so uh but she does end up with a with a cushy space so she ends up with a very comfortable chair <laughs> mm-hmm. all i wanted for her was a very comfortable chair so yeah
0: uh, yeah h plays its part in this because even Sahil, i i kind of felt bad they keep, they keep talking about him like he's a really old man sometimes you know <laughs>
2: Yeah, and it and it's tricky because uh, you sort of uh, and it's something I kind of because co- because in the context of the federation, he said he's a he's a spring chicken, you know. He right. sees yeah, but we're not in that world anymore. And I think book says this to her. So, oh, next you will be telling me it's true that you all lived into your hundreds. It's true <laughs> you all lived into your, yeah, <laughs> not anymore. So no. um, <laughs> <laughs> not anymore, and you see well, uh, you, you're seeing this in uh, I think haven't both um, the UK and the USA seen life expectancy decline uh and and uh, not uh, uh, d- leaving aside covid they, they've seen a decline in life expectancy
0: i didn't so, know that mm-hmm. oh man yep. now i really feel guilty for eating those cheetos yesterday oh, i'm <laughs> shortening my life <laughs> <laughs> do you know
2: i don't i don't think a single uh packet of cheetos is going to make it okay. no this is things <laughs> like austerity politics um, um um hitting hitting the poor and you're seeing, mm-hmm. you're seeing radically reduced life expectancy. Um, so uh so that that would that would be that would be true. And also I think it's really when we set up these worlds that are kind of like um uh wild west frontiers, um, I'm always looking at them going, well, this is all very well if you're if you're kind of um uh, able bodied and um a certain age and have no connections and these sorts of things, but at at, at some point you won't be well. Uh, at some point you will be tired you might get injured you might have dependence how does the world work then um, and that's why I gave the couriers this sort of little um, quiet world where mm. their, their, their mums live <laughs> they're kind of grannies and uh, great aunts and, and people are all going oh well, I was a courier back in the day but now I'm the venerable age of 67 <laughs> retired um so that's what that world was about um it was sort of trying to subvert this wild west mythos that we have because um you know people aren't just uh aren't just like that type they're not gunslingers they eventually even a gunslinger grows old i think
1: yeah that was lovely and and, and just kind of another representation of the hope right like the you know, the life can't just be this never-ending struggle, right? There's got to be something at the end of it. And I think, you know, Burnham's desire for the Federation to come back kind of represents that as well. One other thing that popped into my head too is, of course, we see Burnham and Sahil interact in that first episode. And then we see in the final episode of the season, that reunion. And I haven't gone back to watch that since reading this book, but it feels like this adds just a whole nother layer to that. Like, I I just love that, that greeting between the two of them, the huge grin and the Commander Burnham, you found your way home. I just, yeah. <laughs> that scene and and now with this kind of built into it as well, it just feels like there's going to be that much more uh, meaning behind that scene for for the lucky of us who have read this book. So... And
2: and again, aren't aren't <laughs> actors magic the the kind of the kind of weight and heft that those two performers put into that. Um and I, I have to go off and write a whole book, whereas they just imagine it. <laughs> it's just really, really clever. And it's really clever people actors. So um but yeah, I love that scene as well. He's, he's great whenever he's on scene. I, I love that character. I hope there's more of that character.
0: Um, oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't get the actor to tell us if he's going to be back or not. So <laughs> We'll see, but we can always come yeah. back in books. That's what we have them for. Right. So. Exactly. That's absolutely. <laughs> and I, I did. And you mentioned earlier, I did like the uh, logs from his grandmother. Cause we get to see that progression of what was going on at that time before and after. Yeah. the Yeah.
2: And that's the kind of, uh, um, uh, I always feel a bit naughty putting logs in because I'm kind of going, Oh God, I've got so many words to write. Quick, let, let's do some letters or log entries <laughs> But they, they actually turned out to be an absolutely pivotal part of the book because they're the they're the bridge for us that they they tell us about the burn and they give it as a first-hand account. So she's sort of at, at, at the start, she's kind of going, Oh, I've just got back from a terrible Federation Council meeting, so annoying. Blah 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 blah. Oh, well, at least I'm on holiday now, but, you know, having loads of fun time. But, oh, holiday will be over. I'm going, going back soon. Blah, 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 blah. Something a bit odd has happened. Not quite sure. Oh, Lord. And, and of course, what I'm writing about there was the, the month of going into lockdown over here where you're kind of going... Everything's great. I'm just, uh, you know, in, in, in February, I'd would i been in LA and kind of came home and then sort of partway through March, there's something a bit odd going on around here. And then at the end of the March, the doors have sealed. There is no returning to earth again. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's exactly kind of mirroring. And I was writing this kind of um, June, July in, in lockdown. So it's oh, it was yeah. mirroring. And I think I think everyone with any sense, maybe sometime in March or April or May, kind of, you know, gulped looked around and said things are not going to be who how they were <laughs> for quite quite some time Absolutely. Uh, and, um, yeah and uh so just sort of extrapolating that to a woman who knows it's it's never coming back
1: no um, and yeah i did get that feeling reading that part of the story as well i mean like the last day i worked was march 13th 2020 so like oh it's my been gosh, yeah. It's been brutal. So I, I got that feeling as well. And it was like, oh man, this is there's there's a lot of parallels here. Yeah.
0: So I have to tell you, I got this book the day it came out, and in less than forty-eight hours I finished it. I was engrossed. I just kept going. <laughs> I kept going. I was like, I'll just read one more chapter. And then I mean because the chapters are you know kind of long because they're like an episode right because i mean it probably took me about an average 40 minutes maybe to finish a chapter or so but uh i i mean i i yeah thoroughly enjoyed this thing i couldn't wait to talk to you about it i wanted to gush about it i'm gushing now (laughs) thank you
2: (laughs) and i gave it
0: five stars in goodreads and you liked that on when it came on twitter i'm good i'm done dan take it from here
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'll echo a lot of what Bruce said there. It's funny because I was trying to read this book really quickly because I got it on release day as well and knew that this conversation was coming up. The thing is, though, whenever I came to a scene with Sahil, I had to slow it down because yeah. <laughs> I had to read it listening to his voice. And, yeah. you know, we read a lot faster than a person speaks, but I just for all of those scenes, I just had to slow it down in hearing yeah. his voice, so it slowed it down a bit, but i was I was really able to take my time with those parts and really enjoy this book because uh yeah, it was incredible and really added a lot i think to my enjoyment of uh season three as well and and just you know it's just a banging story on top of that well, bless so, you <laughs> really enjoyed it well
2: it was it was written in captivity pretty much, so um uh, it was a very odd experience to write it, and um, uh, and and you're right. I think there's only I think there are only nine chapters. Usually, I do sort of twelve or or fifteen, so they were quite substantial. Um, I think each one felt like a little should feel almost like a little short story or, or novelette or something. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But I've just been th- uh, the response has just been really really nice. People seem to have really enjoyed it, so I'm just delighted because God, it was. <laughs> hellish time to write so um mm, bet, if it's kind yeah. of cheers people up a bit then uh, uh i'm really glad i'm really glad thanks guys
0: yeah well, thank
1: absolutely you.
0: well uh, you know you're having a little bit of an internet connection so i just issues here so i'm, I'm just assuming it's because you're in that part of the galaxy right now and federation communications <laughs> aren't what they used to be but if you could tell us what are you up to now what are you working on
2: so I guess the next thing that's coming out that folks will really enjoy is uh, uh, let's, have, let's see what we've got. Um, Wonderlands is out, okay? Yeah, we stick that one out. Um, I've got uh, the autobiography of Mr. Spock is is coming out quite soon. I've been working on that. Um, which I think folks will really enjoy. You'll see, um, um, uh, well had. Now, I will not do any spoilers because i have not vested that with the with the publisher. But it's uh, it, it's uh, I, if people know the books, it's that we've had the autobiography of Kirk and Picard, and I read the Janeway one last year. So um, Mr. Spock is coming, uh, and then what I'm wrapping up at the moment. I'm really excited about this. Is a Firefly novel. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Which I have just had an absolute riot. Very, very different from writing Spock. Uh, uh, <laughs> writing, <laughs> writing Jane Cobb is certainly sort of oh antithesis gosh. in many ways. So um, that's called Carnival, and I, I'm, I'm, sort of, uh, I'm I'm just finishing up the first draft. The first, dra- the first um, draft on that, and then that's going to go to the published it sometime next week i think um so that's the big thing and then the other thing that I'm, i'd really like to put a shout out to is uh I'm, I'm working with a science fiction new science fiction imprint uh with uh, goldsmiths university press and we're we're trying to publish new voices in intersectional feminist science fiction uh so if um, people out there are interested in hearing more about that have a look at my twitter feed i've been tweeting about it and uh, i've got an open call for submissions for. Um, science fiction novels at the moment from um, underrepresented voices so uh, people are interested in that take a look, find out, uh, maybe you've got a, a novel that you have um, think should be published and hasn't, you know, the mainstream publishers won't look at it or, or whatever then uh, then send it our way so those are the things that I'm doing at the moment and uh, my immediate plans are to take August off
0: <laughs> Nice, well deserved Yeah <laughs> Yeah, I know you're busy because I sent you an email yesterday and I got an email return saying it may take you a while to return emails because you're
1: busy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one of my my editors uh, emailed back laughing at that one saying, oh, that sounds so grumpy. <laughs> tired. <laughs> so I never, I never usually sat in office, but it's been, it's been quite busy this year. So, uh, yeah, yes. oh, it's fine. we will see the other end of it
0: now. Yeah. And if anybody isn't following Una on Twitter, you got to see what she says about Enterprises. She's watching it because I've quite enjoyed <laughs> those comments.
2: <laughs> yeah. People are going to have to hunt for that because I finished, I got to the end. So uh, I, I watched it in just under a month. So, wow. um, yeah, I kind of, I really committed to, uh, to that. I thought if I stopped on the Zindi season, I'd, I'd never pick up again. So I, I kind of powered through and propped my eyes open and, uh, and then got to the, the fun stuff in season four. Yes. But I really enjoyed it. I, it's a show that never lives up to its promise. Um, but when it does, it's a it's a hoot,
1: I think. Excellent. So uh, for people who maybe uh, haven't followed you yet on Twitter, your handle there is...
2: Uh, at Una McCormack. So it's just my name. very straightforward. If you can spell that, you can find
0: me. Nice and easy. Excellent. Great. There's only one thing I'm disappointed about is some of my favorite projects that you work on are called, I can't talk about it right now.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It's always the way, isn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I want you to take your August off, enjoy it, rest, so you can come back at this again and, and it'll be
1: fantastic.
2: Yeah, we'll talk uh, talk Spock
1: and Firefly. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, we've been
0: waiting on that Spock one for a while. For I know it's not your fault, you fault. Know, yeah, we're not going to get. Oh, into don't that. do it. No, do take that out with other people. Yeah, we're I'm not just get the up. writer. Yeah, you're just the writer. We know that. <laughs> I so. don't
2: even know the story there. I'm just like, oh, I'll write you a book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, hey Dan, what people want to follow you where they can? Where can they do it?
1: You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S and youtube.com slash Productions and tricklet.com where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new.
0: And I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex and Instagram, just Admiral Rex and occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast and been guesting on literary treks. And so, yeah, that's about it. So Una, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so Always much for my this my pleasure. Book.
2: So Always my pleasure. We wish you And best. you got me first on this uh, podcast round, so all my stories are
0: really fresh. Yay! <laughs> this was your practice round for all the other anecdotes. Exactly, interviews. yeah, yeah.
2: The <laughs> anecdotes are uh, absolutely freshly plucked from the tree.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, thanks, everyone, Excellent. for listening, and thanks to our associate producer, William Smith. And we just want to end things with read this book if you haven't read it. We just told you the whole story, but it's still worth reading if you haven't read it. And also... Stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.